We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Hornets fans, and welcome back to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie, and you can find me at Richie Randall on Twitter. Like always, we appreciate five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcast. Let me read the latest one, which I really love, and it's titled, The Only Hornets Pod That Matters. It states... This is the only Charlotte Hornets podcast that matters better than the official Hivecast and light years beyond other Hornets pods for the honesty of its talk and the scope of its insight. Only wish there were more regular episodes, but I completely get why this is. Keep up the good work, Richie, Spencer, Brian, and Lee. Good stuff there. We definitely appreciate that. I I keep saying that goes a long way in, in terms of not only working the algorithm within Apple Podcasts, but also goes a long way just in our minds, and it shows the appreciation that you guys have for us. Before we bring on our guest to preview the Pacers game tonight, I guess it's probably important to address the breaking report that came out on, I think, Thursday, that Michael Jordan is preparing to sell his majority stake in the Hornets to Gabe Plotkin, but will still keep a minority share in the team. Plotkin actually bought a portion of the team back in 2019, and it looks like he could be the one that will be the majority owner. Now, I if this goes through, if this is true, MJ, for whatever you think of him as a player, I personally think he's the greatest basketball player of all time. But the conversation is not about that. Generally speaking, he's been very, very underwhelming as an owner for the on-court production that he has produced. In March of 2010, he became the full-time owner of the Bobcats as he purchased the team for $275 million. And he's been a majority owner ever since then. That's been... Uh, 13 full seasons, if my math is correct. And here's just a quick rundown of some of those notable achievements, if you want to call it that, for the Bobcats slash Hornets in those 13 seasons. 
First off, in 2011, the Bobcats posted the worst winning percentage in NBA history of 106. In those seasons, the team has made it to the playoffs just twice. You know, that seven-year drought between then and now will be the longest in the NBA now that the Sacramento Kings will be making the playoffs. They've only exceeded the 40-win mark three times and have even failed to win 30 games in four seasons in those uh, those last 13 with MJ as the majority owner. Now, he's definitely not the only decision maker. He's not the only voice in the room. But I do think when you have MJ in the room, it probably is going to lean his way. And the team has had quite a few draft failures over the course of his career as owner, especially in the earlier seasons when it felt like he had more of a role in the process. Noah Vonley, Kaminsky, MKG to a certain extent. And just speaking about the on-court product and not the other stuff, like the name change or the marketing or the community outreach, you really can't give it a passing grade. There has been optimism and hope at certain points and I'm sure some outside factors have worked against Charlotte bad fortune whatever you want to call it but at some point the blame has to be attributed to the top management and you have to start to wonder how much now especially how much is he invested in this organization moving forward has he himself lost a little bit of optimism about how he can run a team? And I think a change of ownership, a change in vision, a change of voice could do this organization good. I know Spencer especially, but people on this podcast might have a stronger opinion on this than I do, which I would certainly be in favor of this move. But I will say the idea of having MJ as the owner seemed cooler because of the name, because of the insight that he could have provided to the players for maybe on-court performance-related stuff. But I guess I overrated that aspect of his tenure because if you're not bringing in the right players, the right combination of players, it doesn't necessarily matter what type of insight you can bring as an ex-player. So... You know, nothing. nothing's official by any means. Uh, this is just a rumor at this point, but it sounds like it's headed in that direction. And if this does go through, you have to wonder what this means for Mitch Kupchak, Steve Clifford, and really anyone within the organization that plays a role in the transaction and personnel process, which to me, I think is, is a time for a little bit of a change-up. So... New faces don't always equate to success, but the model that Charlotte has been operating under with MJ at the helm hasn't been successful up to this point. I've always said that MJ has spent in areas where he probably shouldn't have and hasn't invested in places and pieces where he probably could have. It's really just a results-driven league, and right now... Charlotte isn't getting it done. It doesn't feel like they're relevant across the NBA. So we'll have more on this. I'm not sure if 
Spencer, Brian, or Lee want to share their thoughts on the podcast about a potential sale, obviously, if it does officially go through, we'll have to have a bigger conversation about that. But let's go ahead and bring on our guest to preview the Pacers game. And it's funny, he actually talks about Charlotte and share some insight on that and how, as an outsider, and just the information and intel that he gets as a Pacers beat reporter, kind of how Charlotte is viewed across the league. We get into that. We get into some Joel Embiid MVP talk. We get into some talk about Halliburton and LaMelo Ball and just some other stuff that you might not know about if you were not a Pacers fan. So I'm bringing on Scott Agnes, who does an awesome job of covering the Pacers. He also has a Substack like us called Fieldhouse Files. And speaking of Substack, I will keep reminding you guys to support us through that by visiting buzzbeat.substack.com if you would like to you can subscribe for a yearly subscription to get all the perks of our buzzbeat plus subscribers at a minimum just put your email in there and that shows us that you are at least considering moving up to the paid version so without any delay let's go to my interview with scott We are now welcoming to the podcast someone who covers the Pacers very well and has been doing it for over 10 seasons now, Scott Agnes. He used to write for The Athletic, and that's where I initially found his work, but now he's got a podcast and a website called Fieldhouse Files, where he covers games and gets interviews with players and staff and just kind of covers the team in an interesting way. Scott, thanks so much for joining BuzzBeat to preview the uh, the Pacers and the game. You bet. Thanks for having me on. The Hornets and the Pacers are actually both coming into this game, having both played the 76ers in the previous game and getting absolutely handled by Embiid. Before we get to the Pacers, I feel like Embiid is starting to kind of rise up in the conversation with the MVP race over Jokic. In the month of March, he's leading the NBA in scoring. He's been very productive from behind the arc which is you know, not something he's been known for over the course of his uh, career, but he's gotten better at. And obviously the Sixers are playing very well. Do you have any strong thoughts on the Jokic and Bead MVP race and maybe what you saw from Embiid against the Pacers the other night? Yeah, so I don't have any strong convictions just yet, just because I'm one of those that I think it's important to, like, let's get to the finish line. Like, let's see how these final three weeks ultimately end up being. I mean, uh, in general, though, you know, I take part in that Tim Bontemps uh, straw poll each year for ESPN. And that's interesting both to see what the general feel is about likely from likely voters. uh, And then also even look back at, you know, what I was saying back throughout the season. Right. So I think he asked us like three or four times a year. But, uh, you know, for me, it's so difficult. I, I thought. Jokic, but to be honest, now after this losing streak, now I've and I'll admit I haven't watched, I've been able to watch any of their last three, four, five games. So I haven't been able to see how how he's played in all of this. But um, just based on this losing streak and Joel's dominance, you know, you start thinking more towards Joel and B. But uh, I do believe there's a lot of factors that ultimately go into it once that season is finally over with. But I will say this too, Richie. 
I am one of those that, that believes there needs much like football. There needs to be an offensive player of the year award too. Um, that's something that's really missed out in this conversation. And therefore everybody's MVP qualifications are different. Right. Right. I think, uh, Jokic gets a lot of flack for, you know, his defensive side and Embiid definitely has that going for him. And I think one thing too, like he's not the passer that Jokic is, but I do think he's underrated as a passer Embiid that is. So yeah, Hornets and Pacers had to deal with Embiid recently, <laughs> recently yeah. and it was not, not a fun matchup for either of those teams, but the Pacers, we saw, sorry, real fast. And we saw the other night when, when Philly was in town here, Embiid scored 31. It was like his ninth straight game with 30 plus. Keep in mind, he didn't play the fourth quarter because <laughs> he didn't have to. They were on top by 20. And so he didn't even like, so like that's a 40 point game, essentially. Chalk right. that up unofficially because he would have easily done that. He had whatever he wanted. Had, you know, the Pacers this season, like many other teams, but have had no success against them. They lost all four games. They allowed, you know, 147 the last meeting, then 140. 41 this past one so um they are just so difficult and and the thing with him ultimately has just become is he healthy if he's healthy we know what he can do um and so it's been great to see him be able to stay healthy and, and stay on the floor last night could have been or the other night against the Pacers could have been a night where he rested James Harden rested he chose to play we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. His his foul drawing antics are, are sometimes hard to watch, but other than that... Agreed. Yeah, Agreed. Yeah. Other than that, he's been pretty dominant. Um, Speaking of resting, or I guess not resting, the, the Pacers are dealing with some injuries right now with Halliburton and Matherin, and I think Matherin's timetable seems to be more up in the air and less certain, but... Is there any chance that Halliburton suits up against the Hornets come Monday night? No, Halliburton's already ruled out, in fact. And and I think we'll, we anticipate getting an update from head coach Rick Carlisle on Matherin and Dorte here in the next coming days. But Halliburton was ruled out uh, a few games ago for the next three games. Well, this is game three. Gotcha. And I fully expect for him to miss some more time after that. Also, it wouldn't even surprise me if it gets down the stretch and it's another week. You know, at some point, you, you reach a point in this season where it's not even worth returning now with just 10 games remaining and and who knows what. Yeah, and so LaMelo Ball and Halliburton share some similarities with their play, and, and LaMelo Ball is actually out uh, with an ankle injury as well. And, you know, they both came in the same draft in 2020. They both are players that have, like, 
visionary passing in the uh you know like the upper tier of the NBA both can score and shoot off the dribble especially from behind the arc what has Halliburton meant for this team this season which has probably been his best of his you know his short three-year career Richie I can't understate it when I say this he has meant everything to this team this this is maybe a 21 team without Halliburton um they they just have not he's he means everything he's the heartbeat he's he's the guy that sets the tone offensively uh average defender but really good offensively setting each other up the biggest compliment i can give ty is the fact that he elevates everybody else's game i I think that's one thing especially if you want to talk mvp or other conversations is what does it mean for their teammates Uh, i mean i see this a lot with an indie native that you cover and gordon hayward i think when he is out there we see Hornets play winning basketball because he elevates his team. He makes winning basketball plays. And that's what Tyrese Halliburton always does. And so, um, man, his assists have been a blast to watch, too. Like, if, if, if your audience hadn't seen much of the Pacers with Tyrese, I encourage them to, like, go to YouTube and watch some of his highlights because there's some flash in it, but a lot of it's just to get himself going. Like, he does a lot of no-look passes, jump passes. He does a lot of things that are creative. Um, and has a great deal of success. Yeah. So to your point, yeah, it's just year three for, for both him and ball and Tyrese was an all-star this year. Yeah. And I don't know how like people in Indiana feel about the trade that went down obviously last season with Sacramento and obviously Sacramento is having a, a great season as a team with uh Sabonis heading that direction. But you know, it feels like it's been a win-win trade for both the Kings and the Pacers. Yeah, it really has. It's one of those where, one, everyone was surprised because if a player got traded, we fully expected it to be Miles Turner. But <laughs> last year, he got injured. I think it was January 13th. Well, the trade deadline's early February. So that kind of ruled him out um, at the trade deadline because any player who would want to acquire him would be trying to make a championship run. And, and then Miles, by the way, didn't end up finishing the rest of last season. So that would have been of no help. And then, of course, despite all the talks and reports and, you know, more speculation than anything, Miles is still here. He signed an extension. So that was kind of hilarious last couple of uh, years. But with Domas, uh, they were by no means looking to move on from him. It was a situation, though, Richie, where they had to give up something of great value, and they had they have not had a true point guard in decades. Uh, I go back to Jamal Tinsley in, like, 2004 is what I'm talking about here. A guy that's a pass first, sets everybody up, um, and just an engaging point guard. And so, um, the gal was costly. He gave up an all-star now three times, and he's probably having an all-NBA year. But uh, they really got the point guard of their future, and he's just 23, a guy that can be with them for the next decade. And Tinsley went to Iowa State too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good connection there, right? <laughs> um, so with with Halliburton out for the past handful of games, it, it seems like we've seen Andrew Nimhard play more of a, a primary point guard on offense. I know when the Hornets have played the Pacers, it feels like they use Nimhard as the primary defender, the point of attack defender on defense, but they put him more of an off-ball role, obviously, with, with Halliburton out there on the court. What have you seen from Andrew um, in the absence of Halliburton and obviously now that Halliburton can't go versus Charlotte, do you expect Nimhard to be more of that facilitator, that point guard uh, for the Pacers? Yeah, you had a good read on it. That's exactly right. He, it, Nimhard uh, was a, the first pick of the second round this year. 
He's a guy they, they thought highly of, was probably the most impressive guy in camp uh, of guys maybe you wouldn't expect, and got on the floor with his defense. That's what it was about for him the last, or the first three months or so, was he and, and occasionally Aaron Neesmith, too, uh, were, ta- were defending the opponent's best player. And, and the Pacers' biggest weakness, of course, is wings, guarding you know, the, the most important position in the league right now. But in Nemhard, you know, one night would have OG and Ananobi and then Pascal Siakam, and the next have LeBron, and then have, <laughs> and then have you know, name, you name it. Um, so that's what he was about the first couple of months. And now he, he's, they, they're really, Rick Carlisle's calling this the exploratory phase. He referenced it with one specific player. I'm just going to put a blanket statement for the final 20 games. They're trying to explore and see who can do what, who's comfortable in different situations, who can get, who can they make comfortable in different situations. And what people don't realize is Andrew Nimhard has been, up until his pro career, more of an offensive guy. That's been his focus. He's a scorer. He's a facilitator. He, he's a true point guard and hasn't played in that role until the last four games now while Tyrese has been out. And that's too by, been by design, Richie, here, is they've wanted to place the ball in his hands more and see how he would roll. I wonder if that's because maybe you actually move him with the second unit next year yeah. and have him run that second unit. Maybe that's why a little bit, but um, in this exploratory phase, yeah, you named it. Uh, that's exactly what they're doing. And he's done very well back to back 20 point game uh, in a season where he's had three, he's had two of them in the last two games. All right, let's talk about the longest tenured Indiana Pacer and and someone you mentioned prior about always being in trade rumors. And what's funny, a lot of those rumors have been linked to the Charlotte Hornets with Miles Turner. And you just mentioned that he signed an extension for the next couple of seasons. And I think you could probably argue outside of Tyrese, he's probably been Indiana's best player this season. How odd has it been covering his career in the sense that he's always been in trade rumors for whatever reason, <laughs> yeah. but he's still sticking around with this team? Yeah, it's one of those things, and it actually dates back. The first actual time uh, was 2020. It was when, when Gordon was very real about leaving Boston, wanted to come to Indiana. Uh, Danny Ainge didn't trust that he, he was like nah there's no way you're gonna do that you're not leaving brad stevens to boston well it turns out he was very open to it and wanted to but the, the pacers had to swing a trade charlotte mj saw what was going on called him and stepped in and goes hey what's it gonna take let's get a deal done and gordon gave him his word so then when danny ainge finally realized this was very real uh-oh and started backpedaling it was too late because gordon's a man of his word and told mj he was going with the hornets but to bring it back to miles turner that's that's one of the players the Pacers offered to Boston for a package with a, a Gordon Hayward there. So that was the first time, 2020. After that, outside of a potential, dis- uh, true discussions, not potential, discussions with the Lakers that didn't seem to really get all the way, maybe, maybe inside the red zone but not past that, um, those are the really only two times that I'm aware of where he actually was discussed in these rumors. The rest was just, connecting dots, right? The Pacers have two centers with Sabonis and Turner and, you know, maybe and miles, quite frankly, made it known. He wanted a bigger role. There was an athletic piece. There was the Woj pod this year um, that he went on and, you know, was asked about playing for the Lakers, things like that. So that kind of fanned the flame a little bit in all of it. um, But also him wanting to be in a winning situation. Now circle back this year, Pacers had that, that you, 
unique ability, Richie, to renegotiate and extend, which allowed the Pacers to add more money to his contract this year. So instead of making 18, he's making 34, I want to say, million, 35 million this year. And his number for the next two years not only is great, but it's, toler- it's tolerable as well, just 20 million or so on average. And so that's great either for the Pacers or down the road. And I'm not saying they will, but if, if it gets to this road, a starting center that's producing the numbers he's doing for 20 million, of course, that's a, that's a good deal. I think, you know, at least a third of the league probably would be interested in. So yes, it's been a little bit odd and sometimes, but while miles has always been loyal to the city, to this franchise does things with his organization. And on top of that, he's one of those players, Ricky, that has really benefited from Ty by having the best point guard of his career. He's having a career year and, and give miles a lot of credit. But Ty is also playing a big reason into all of it. Yeah, it's always good to have that that combination with the point guard mm-hmm. play. It, it makes a you know the life a whole lot easier for some of the big guys. Now, how much do you believe in Turner's three point shot? Because to me, like theoretically, he's been a stretch big for the most of his career. It's just been this season where he's shooting his career best from behind the arc. Do you think that's going to sustain over the next couple of seasons, or do you think this just just kind of an anomaly shooting in the upper thirties? Yeah, I do think it'll be sustainable for several reasons. One, he's constantly working on it. They're trying to, uh, and it's a style in which Rick Carlisle wants to play. He really wants to play five out. So that in part is why you also moved on from Demonis Sabonis, who, you know, the, the old fashioned, you know, ground, pounded away in the, in the middle of the lane. And, and with Sabonis, by the way, you really have to facilitate through him, mm-hmm. which kind of counters what Tyrese is doing. So uh, with Miles, it allows for him for the pick and pop, the pick and roll. He can function as a, that old school center in the post and, and has improved on his post moves and, and things like that. But no, I, I absolutely see this continuing both because of the way in which he shot and continues to work on that three-point shot, but more so even how he's utilized and what Rick Carlisle emphasizes to his team. He wants over 43s per game. He wants them not passing up good looks. He, he's very much about it. So that I think that only empowers him and the rest of the team to stay at it. All right. Give me someone, a player that's either like a younger player or a player that we've not mentioned yet that maybe from a Hornets fan perspective, they might not realize the impact that they've had on the Pacers team and, and maybe being a bigger impact player against the Hornets on Monday night. Yeah. Well, the first thought would be Benedict Mather. One, he's, he was a lottery pick, top six pick, and he's unavailable. Uh, presumably, I don't expect back to him to play uh, against the Charlotte Hornets. So um, I, I think the guy that jumps out to me is is Aaron Neesmith because he's, he's coming off a career night. So it's always interesting to see how young guys come off one of their best nights of their career. And then more than that, it, it goes to kind of the bigger picture, what the Pacers are trying to do and what they've done in their free or their player acquisition model. And that's to go look at other rosters and see the way in which players are used or not used and, and figure out a better way to use them. So Aaron Neesmith, he was a lottery pick in that 2020 class, right? And so the Pacers were able to acquire him in a deal this past summer and now giving him regular minutes, a consistent opportunity he's producing. And more so why I also bring him up is he's shouldered a lot of the load defensively. So um, that's what I expect to see uh, as well coming up against Charlotte is, is he'll take on one of the better scores on the night, it'll be either Nimhard or Neesmith. So he's really risen to the occasion. I think 
gotten a lot more comfortable with you this season because of this new opportunity. And it's amazing what happens when a team and coach demonstrate that confidence in a player. It takes the player's confidence and their game then to another level. So that's been a fun thing to see over the last few months. So right now, at the time of this recording, uh, Indiana is on the outside looking in in terms of uh, the play-in, two games back in the loss column from the Bulls, who are in the 10th spot. So take kind of taking a step back, like a big picture view of this organization right now as we speak, how much are they focused on like the development of some of these younger players like Aaron Neesmith that you just mentioned versus trying to push and compete for that playoff seating right now? Is, is that... Is that in the back of their mind that they're really trying to go all out for the playoffs? Or is it just more of, okay, if the young players take us there, they take us there? Yeah, it's that latter, Richie. It's, it's the point here where this is about development. It's about growth. It's about exploratory within the roster. If the, if the postseason happens, which I don't believe it will, great. But it's nothing, you know, they're, they're risking injuries or rushing a guy back or or playing a guy 40-plus minutes, things like that. Not at all. And nor should they. Now, my personal opinion is, yeah, that is meaningless. Getting to the play-in game is, is I'm not a play-in game guy, first of all. But I think it was, they would much more benefit from having one more year, having a really good draft pick, and then hopefully not returning to the lottery for the next decade plus. And to, to kind of encapsulate all of this for your audience here is until – so this will be the third straight year, presumably – uh, if you count this season, the Pacers will be in the lottery. That's very rare error for the Pacers. Before that, I think it was 29 of 35 years they had men- made the playoff, meaning they were not in the lottery. So that was a model of consistency almost. And now, to be clear, they were never great, never horrible. They were just king of the mediocre. Well, they want to get out off that treadmill of mediocrity. And, I, and by doing so, I think what's also clear is there's still at least one superstar, one star at least, away from being a real contender in the league. And that's what it's all about. So I would hate for them to really, I don't know, go all out or sacrifice short-term and long-term gains to just play like one play-in game or two. Because um, if you get to the playoffs, you're going to get swept by the Celtics or, or whomever that is. So no, right now is all, while they're not tanking or anything like that, the focus is on growth, development, all those kinds of buzzwords. Yeah, I feel like the Hornets would have been in a similar situation in terms of their seeding this season had it not been for... They just need health, man. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the health is the biggest thing, and obviously the Miles Bridges situation over the offseason yeah. and just the, the the coaching search over the summer, too, where they were locked in and they had uh, Atkinson and then he backed out. It was just been a weird, weird season and disappointing season for Charlotte. So my last question to you is, how does someone from an outsider's perspective view the Hornets season as a whole and and maybe you it sounds like you attribute most of their disappointing season to the health portion and not so much um you know the lack of talent per se yeah so several things here first of all Pacers were going to be one of those opposing teams in trying to get bridges uh they were planning to do that they talked to Tyree Halliburton about trying to go out and, and potentially sign him um, so yeah, of course, and then that obviously threw a wrench into everything and hopefully, and, you know, I haven't heard any updates lately. Hopefully he's, he's getting better and getting the, the help he needs, but nonetheless, um, my, my first thought on the Charlotte Hornets, uh, I'll be honest, dysfunctional, they kind of need to start over rebuild. And I'm not, I'm more talking, I think front office. And I kind of like this about MJ moving on. He has not been successful, right? right. 
it's so great to have him as an ambassador, a spokesperson out in front of the league. But it's also a results-driven business. So my first thought on all this is, all right, now maybe we can get the Hornets back in the conversation again. Like outside of LaMelo Ball, they have not been in any conversation piece uh, whatsoever. So that's my biggest thing and that it starts with. Just the way I've heard they go about things, a little bit concerning and and many different factors. And then, then of course, it's roster building. Hasn't been good. And then you brought up Kenny Atkinson. Uh, this past year, I, I believe the the biggest holdout among the things was he wasn't getting the money to pay the assistant coaches he wanted. Well, that speaks to a franchise that needs to update its priorities and get with mm-hmm. the time. Like we want, everybody wants to see a franchise like the Charlotte Hornets be successful. I love Charlotte, great town. But if the, if those things are, are true and, and all those little things add up to big things, um, and so I'm one of those that want to see this Charlotte Hornets team kind of refresh this roster, refresh its priorities, reshift its focus, and then hopefully be able to try to make a push and, and become relevant here in another two years. Yeah, that's a good point about the uh, the potential sale of the team with MJ and stuff like that. That's a conversation we've yet to had on the podcast, but it, it's interesting because he has not been an on the court successful owner in terms of just some of the moves that he's made. It, it feels like he's been stingy, in areas where he shouldn't be and then he like overspends on players that he shouldn't so it's it's been a very very i guess overall taking a step back it, it's not been a great look for mj in terms of just his um his ownership in terms of on the court performance but that's a good point about the uh the assistant coaches i totally forgot about that being the storyline with atkinson as well so scott thanks so much for for joining buzzbeat we really appreciate your time and i'm sure our listeners will love to hear the insight on the indiana pacers Very good, Richie. Thanks for having me on. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.